Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 3, Term 1. This is Lesson 8. We are going to pick up where we left off. We were in John chapter 4 and verse 3, and uh, we were looking at the fact that the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Now notice two things there again, that he made, did you notice the word made? Okay, so notice that he did two things, that he made and baptized more disciples than John. Now again, even though he himself didn't baptize anyone. But I want you to notice something that more people are attaching themselves to him than they did even to John. That's significant as well. Amen? So there weren't just people following around. There were actually those that called themselves disciples. So notice again, he says there again, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Notice what's in the middle between the two. Samaria is right in the middle. Now what used to happen is they didn't want to go through Samaria. Okay, because the Samaritans were a mixed race. Okay, those were the Jews that married outside of their religion. And they had issues with this. And they, they have a history going back. There was a lot of conflict there. Just a lot of conflict, okay? And so, that's the reason why the, the story about the Good Samaritan is so shocking in the ears of the Jews. There's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. Do you understand? Okay? If it's a Samaritan, already it's bad. Doesn't matter, okay? Uh, and so, th- uh, they used to do this huge trip all around. They just would do everything they can to get around Samaria. They would just avoid it like the plague. Alright? So, uh, so I want you to understand that in what Jesus is going to say, and why it's going to be so shocking in the ears of the disciples and also to the person that's reading it. Alright? But we're going to get to that in just a moment. In relation to this, okay, that it was not Jesus doing the baptizing by the disciples, notice again that we were talking about nobody can ever and should ever boast, I've been baptized by this person or that person. Amen? We should never get to that place where we are proud of our religion and proud of who baptized us. And we're better than you. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> that's going on today. In certain religious organizations, if you were baptized by them, instead of some other religious organization, I'm not mentioning any, but you can guess probably. Okay, well, one doesn't count the other one as being baptized at all. Are you all here? Amen? And so, notice again, all of these are outward things. God doesn't care about any of those things. That's why we have to be careful about this whole ritual of baptizing. Do you understand now? I I just stay away from it as much as I can. If somebody wants to be baptized, I will baptize them. But the thing is that I don't ever want it to become that I was baptized by this person. As soon as you do that, you get into pride. And the whole point of everything that we're doing is lost. Amen? We are trying to form a relationship with God, not a preacher or a church or organization. Alright. And so remember again, we looked at 1 Corinthians 1.17. The Apostle Paul understood this himself. 
Alright, and, and in verse 15 he says, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name, he says. That's why he says that Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Alright, now finally in relation to John 4, 3, where it said that Jesus left Judea to return to Galilee, in his commentary, John MacArthur says that most likely, Jesus wanted to avoid any possible trouble with John's disciple. I said I wanted to discuss this, and you'll understand why in a minute who were troubled with his growing popularity. And since the Pharisees were also focusing on his growing influence, Jesus decided to leave Judea and travel north in order to avoid any conflict. Now this is pretty incredible. Okay? I want you to also see what D.A. Carson says, and then I'll talk about this. Fearful that there might be an attempt to polarize the two ministries, that's John and Jesus, Jesus determines to minimize the potential damage by departing for Galilee. Remember again, there was, their ministry was running concurrently. And I want you to notice this. In order to minimize this potential of polarizing the two groups. You understand polarizing? It means you know, separating the two groups. Okay? In order to stop that from happening, now Jesus could have stood his ground. Jesus could have said, well, God called me here. We're staying. I'm not going anywhere. You know, if they, want, if they want to move, let them move. We've got bigger crowds. That's right. Okay, let, let's talk about this for a minute, okay? That would be all the more reason why he should stay and John should go. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, I mean, that's how we look at things, don't we? Watch what Jesus does, and I want you to learn from this. John has now said... I must decrease, that he must increase. John preferred Jesus to himself. Watch now. Jesus looks at what's going on and preferred John to himself. Jesus didn't say, see, now John said he must decrease, I must increase. I must remain here to continue increasing. John can go decrease somewhere else. <laughs> okay? Come on now. All right, I, I, I want to bring this to you because... We miss so many things and we have attitudes, don't we? We think we have a right to certain things. John was very interesting when he said, you know, no man has, there's nothing that anybody has that God hasn't given him. Now, you know, I made that comment last week as I was editing it. I thought, oh, I need to go balance that one out. Because then there will be people going, well, see, that's why my church is so big. Because God gave them to me. No, you built a, a business. Those are your clients, they're not your congregation, they're just clients. They pay your bills. Yeah, sponsorship, okay? All right? You know, whatever it is, that's that's not a congregation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, that's a clientele. That's, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay? That's different, okay? So if you think you got a big church and, and that's all God... No, what John was talking about was those that are in God. Hear me now. Those that are following His will. Whatever they have, God is given. And whatever they don't have, they're not meant to have. Amen. You know, I've, we, we've gone through seasons... In this ministry, you know, we went through the time when we first started and we just had a few people, okay, in our little house. We started there, we've circled, okay? Isn't it interesting? Things are in cycles. And uh, we didn't have the parking facilities that we do here, nor the space or anything like that, okay? It was, it was itty bitty, all right? But then we moved out from there. 
and went into places where we're hiring and understood that it's not the best thing to hire places out. Because you, you don't know what all was there the night before. You know, and what devils you have to chase out for half the service, you know, okay? And, uh, yeah, you know, and so, you know, we, we bought our own building, and that was, that was good. We, we grew, okay, we had a fair few people in that. But again, you know, there was, a, there was something that God needed me to do. And in, in our growth, the things that I was meant to do were starting to slip away from me. And I knew that. And I went back and said, God, I need to, what is it that we're missing? That something is wrong with all of this. Because, can I say this? If you grow when you're not meant to grow, then the ministry will go places it's not meant to go. Because the wrong influences come in. Because you're not ready. This time, and again, the reason is it was because we didn't know this. I didn't know any of the things I'm teaching you right now. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I did the life of Jesus in, in 20 lessons. Yeah, but did I know anything? No. I don't know how many lessons it's going to take us to get through this. But am I learning something? Absolutely. I am seeing things I have never seen before. Now, in what was going on in this ministry... From, you know, from small to big to back to small, it's because we're following God. God we we're asking God, what do you want us to do next? And God said, for you to have no limit to your growth, you need a stronger foundation. You see, your growth is dependent on your foundation. Do you know, even in the natural realm, if they don't put a foundation that can hold six stories... They put a foundation to hold one story. You can't build a second story later on. There's no way the foundation will take the weight. Doesn't matter whether you own the place or not. That doesn't matter. If the foundation isn't there, you can't. Do you hear what I'm saying? And some people try to build too much on a foundation that's not very strong. It cracks. And then we have all sorts of problems happening. Amen. So, how far down you're willing to go to lay foundations determines how far up you'll go. Amen? A lot of people want to hurry up and get on with it. I decided, you know, and I said this to God. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, the people that were in my leadership before, they said, don't pray stuff like that. Man, we don't like it. You know, because I used to to pray stuff and I used to say, God, you do whatever you need to do to get us to the place where you're happy with us. And this ministry goes where you want it to go. Not where we want it to go. But where you want it to go in your time frame. See, as soon as you do that, all the stuff the world says about make a plan and do this in this time and five year plan and ten year plan. It doesn't exist. That's your human plans. If you want to follow God's timing, I've noticed something with God's timing. He doesn't have a two year plan and a five year plan and a ten year plan. Right. Do you know what he's? You know what his word is full of. You go along, you go along, you go along. It seems like nothing is going along, and then suddenly, there's a lot of suddenlies, and suddenly there was a thousand people. Remember Peter? He's preaching, and in one day, five thousand. You think there was a church there? I think a church started after that. You want you need, you need a building for five thousand people get saved in one day. Ah, and there was men. So there's 5,000 families come in. Better be a big church. Are you all here? You see, that's, that's how God's thing works. 
He doesn't do the five-year, ten-year, blah, 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 blah. You learn, you grow in the things of God. And when the time is right, it will come. That's why I said, don't get comfortable. I have learned not to be comfortable. I have learned to be thankful for the comfort that I have. Knowing that it will be ripped out from me anytime. I won't get a say in it. If not, if I'm smart. You know, the only time you get a say in something is if you're dumb. You know, if you start arguing, don't do that, dude. If God thinks you're ready, you're ready. Just pray some more. <laughs> okay? That's what I decided. I, I, you know, if that ever ha- when, when this suddenly happens, I'll just increase my prayer time. That's it. That's my huge plan. By the way, you all want to know the secret to my huge plan? I'm, I'm going to pray a lot more. Soon as that happens, because it's time to pray. It's time to now hear God on a higher level. Right now I study a lot because I've got that time. So I'm listening to God anyway. I'm learning to listen to God in my study time. And thankfully, nobody's lives are dependent on me. Okay, right now, you know, necessarily. I mean, I've prayed for people, praise God. Let's just go back to this. It is important, and I want to go back to this popularity thing. It is really important to understand that you need to follow God's plan. Amen? So this is Because this is what I'm talking about. You always need to go in the direction that is pleasing to God that may not be rational. Rationality would say the bigger ministry says the smaller ministry can move. God might say, no, no, no. We don't like strife in the ministry. You move. Don't even ask the other guy. Don't have a meeting. Don't say, now listen, dude. You know, I mean, look at our ministries. I mean, you know. Okay, you were here first, but... (laughs) Of course the people know we're better, you know. So, be nice if you just moved. Don't do stuff like that. He might say yes, but God wasn't happy. Just because you win an argument doesn't mean you're in God's will. Can I say that again? Just because... (laughs) Just because you win an argument because it's irrational and blah, it doesn't matter. If something is wrong in the spirit, something is wrong. You deal with that. Because otherwise everything you're building now is on sifting sand. It's, it's going to go down. God's not there anymore. Amen? And that's where it turns from being something godly to something worldly. You go from being spirit-led to it's a business now. Amen? All right, let's, let's move on. I, I, I know I spent a lot of time in that, but I, I pray that you learn something from that. Absolutely. Okay? Um, and understand that if Jesus, with His popularity, with that increasing numbers, decided He was going to move because He didn't want strife in the ministry, how much more should we be doing? Absolutely. We are meant to be like Him. Remember? What would Jesus do? Now you know. <laughs> okay? People just say, what would Jesus do? I don't know. I can guess, but it's, you know, fleshly and carnal. <laughs> it's not necessarily what Jesus actually would have done. Now you know. Praise the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> Moving on. This is brought out in uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where it says, But Herod, now this is about talking about John's imprisonment. All right, that was, was going to happen. And Jesus would have known something was coming in the wind. Okay? Jesus isn't taken by surprise by too many things, although he was very, very saddened by what was going on. Okay? And you know, John, bless his darling heart, you know, as, as, <laughs> as committed as he is to God, he kind of also, 
how can I put this? Hmm. Okay, for those that are listening to this, I'm holding my hand up and I'm po- pointing a finger and it's straight. He was straight like this. Okay, like the finger is straight. Now I'm making a hook with my finger. He wasn't straight like this. This is one of my dad's little sayings. His dad used to go, are you straight like this or straight like this? <laughs> okay, because there are some people that are straight like this. They aren't very straight. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, <laughs> so... John was very straight. He was a little too straight. And so he, he challenged people and did things. And, you know, uh, he would remember again, he's a forerunner. He's done his job down here. Time for, time for him to go down to paradise and do his job there next. Remember, they're waiting as well. Everybody's waiting for the Savior. Hallelujah. The living and uh, now living somewhere else. Okay, let me put it that way, because we're not dead. All those that are... Amen? Okay. All right. And it says here, but Herod, the, the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him... See? He rebuked him. Okay? Uh, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife... Fair enough, okay? And for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this to his list of crimes, okay? Above all, and worst of all, that he shut John up in prison. Okay, now we covered all of that, so we're moving on. William Hendrickson brings out an interesting point with regard to the Lord's departure to Galilee. And that is, the Lord knew that for every event in His life, there was an appointed time in God's decree. And He also knew that the appropriate moment for His death had not yet arrived. As soon as that moment arrived, He would voluntarily lay down His life. But not before then. Hence, He must now leave Judea and returned to Galilee where he had performed his first sign. So, from an overall perspective, from the cities of Cana and Capernaum, that's in Galilee, Jesus traveled to Jerusalem in Judea at the time of the Passover. And now, after having some, spent some time in the capital and in the country region of Judea, that's where the temple is and everything is, okay? All right? Jerusalem. All right? He was now heading again to the land of Galilee. I've put the land of Galilee because you understand the land of Galilee incorporates all of this. Nazareth and Cana and all of that is in that land. Do you understand? That's why it's written that way. All right. So, he goes from this region to that region. And you know what he has to go through. Okay. Alright. And so in John chapter 4 and verse 4, it goes on to say, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now notice, I want to draw your attention to what William Hendrickson said, that he understood that there was a timing for everything in his life. That there was a reason for him to do things. Where all the Jews kept avoiding Samaria, God said to Jesus, go through Samaria. You need to go right through the center of that place. We're gonna, we know why, right? Because we saw the, the rest of the book. We, we could read ahead. <laughs> okay, He's going to meet a woman. He's going to turn a town upside down with one woman. Something that a Jew never does. Speak to a woman by herself. <gasps> wow. And one that was not married. <laughs> Boy, anyway. There's a story there too. Okay. <laughs> Especially that kind of woman. You know what I'm saying? All right. So, but see, isn't the Lord wonderful? I read a stupid article. Somebody sent us stuff, you know, because we're getting known now, which I didn't want 
to happen. Anyway, starting again, because of our videos and stuff. Now people know us, and it was from this particular ministry, I won't mention the name. And so I, was, I thought, oh, well, it might be something interesting, I'll read through it. And so, you know, as soon as I got to the lines where it says, you know, Jesus had insecurities, and you know Jesus was not perfect, why read on? I mean, wow. And I thought, isn't it interesting, the stuff that's out? This is a Christian talking about her pastors and everything, and the church she goes to, and makes these statements. There are some churches out there, family, that just, you don't know what all they're on about. You hear me? Okay. I'm not going to say any more. Okay. Because <laughs> I have to be careful what I say over here as well. Because I don't know. Hey, email. All right. <laughs> okay. Moving on. As we shall see, besides the fact that geographically the land of Samaria stood right between the lands of Judea and Galilee, there was a very specific reason why Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Before we look at that, let's first get acquainted with Samaria itself. Um, I'm nice to you guys. I, I, I tell you all these things. That's why I come to Bible college, right? In 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 24, we are told where Samaria got its name from. It says there, King Omri bought the hill now known as Samaria from its owner, that guy, Shemar, for 150 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria, in honor of this guy, okay, Shemer, okay, so that's where the name came from. In time, the name was used to refer to the entire northern kingdom, with R. Kent Hughes going on to say that in seven, uh, 721 BC, the Assyrians swept through Israel, the northern kingdom, and took the inhabitants off to Assyria. During their years in Assyria, many Jews, here it comes, intermarried with the Assyrians and Kuthites, or Kathites, however you want to say that. Then in 587 BC, Babylon took the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, captive into Babylon. Okay, so they came and took the southern kingdom. Alright, so the northern kingdom had been taken, now the southern kingdom was taken. But in Babylon, there was no intermarriage. And when the Jews from the southern kingdom came back to their homes, they were of unadulterated Jewish blood. As a result, they, that's the southern kingdom Jews, refused to accept their northern kingsmen, viewing the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, as racial half-breeds whose, re whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. Are we getting this? And so both sides developed a murderous hatred for each other. Okay, one group was going, well, we didn't marry any of the, you know, as much as temptation was there, we resisted. Yeah. What happened with you people? Okay, now, I understand both sides. Hey, you know what, let me, take, <laughs> let me take a moment. Let me talk to you about both sides very quickly. I only have a few minutes left, we might have to come back to this. Alright, understand something. You need to be careful that, you know, you don't get little love hearts in your eyes and you marry someone that's going to compromise your walk with God and your relationship with God. People say, no, 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 I'll be fine. I know I'm marrying an unbeliever, but, you know, I'll change him. You know what he's probably thinking? That he'll change you. She'll stop being such a religious nut and, and sort of see the world the way it really is. So both of you go into the marriage thinking they're going to change the other person. Listen to me. 
Okay? And so, and then after a while, I'll, I'll almost guarantee you, a couple of years down the track, you'll see someone that is the same as you, opposite gender, and go, oh, what did I do? You need to, yeah, you know? And then there is this, oh no, you know, you know, which way do I go? You would not have had this problem. You know, it's hard enough marrying the Christian and, and keeping it together, rather than a non-believer and then a Christian comes along. Well, what do you do with that? That's almost an impossible situation, okay? So I want to share that with you to understand that why one side would have been thinking, what did you do? You compromised what we believe. Remember what Solomon did? Mm? He just married all of these wives and all these religions and all the stuff came in and just wrecked everything. Amen? We need to be careful. So, I want you to understand that. Okay, but at the same time, okay, if one of our Christian relatives has married an unbeliever, we can't turn our noses up at them. Man isn't coming into this house. What is wrong with you? Are you being the light of the world or something else? Amen? Listen, man, okay, so you can't change their minds, but at least you can show the love of God. And that we will not, you know, judge people. And we'll share things with them, but we're not going to force anything on them. Because we understand God looks in the heart. Not a forced confession. And a forced conversion. I've seen some of those happen. You better become a Christian and get nothing from me. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like that ever happened. Can, can we be real for a minute? Amen. All right, so having said all of that, <laughs> sorry I took a minute to preach, but I want you to see this. I want you to understand the conflict that is going on here and understand the reasonings behind each one. But I need you to see it in such a light that you can't become that way. Okay, so they did this. Maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, but you can't ostracize them. Because then God has no way of getting... But see, this is what happened with the Jews' mentality. And the further they went down this track, the more elitist they became. To where they, you know, they, they just look down on all the Gentiles. And so what happens if you marry one of them? Well, bless God, you're down there with them in the pigs, die, you know, with all the pigs. Amen? As a result, Leon Morris says that the Samaritan's religion, marked by a pronounced bitterness towards the Jews, okay, in fact, when the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, the Samaritans offered to help them rebuild their temple. This is in Nehemiah, okay? Uh, Ezra has it too. But the offer was refused. Alright, there's the scripture verse there. This naturally engendered great bitterness. They were really angry because they said, look, we want to come and help build the temple. And these groups said, no, 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 you're, you're not pure Jewish, so get away. Mm. Not, not the best thing, okay? One might have expected that the Jews would have appreciated the fact that the Samaritans worshipped the same God as they did. But it did not work out this way. So, the Samaritans refused to worship at Jerusalem, preferring their own rival temple built on Mount Gerizim. Okay, that was in around 400 B.C. When this was later burned by the Jews, see, they, they, you know, they weren't good either, alright? Around 12, 128 BC, relations between the two groups worsened, needless to say. O, uh, occasions of friction, and by the New Testament times, a settled attitude of hostility had resulted. Did you get all of that? Okay, now there was more to this, 
but we won't go into that. But that was a religious war, basically, okay, and they just hated each other. In fact, in time, Arkent Hughes says that the Jewish rabbis from the southern kingdom said, let no man eat the bread of the Cathites or the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. See, pigs, all right? A popular prayer in those days said, Our Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. Can you believe that? As if God is going to say, Well, look, the Jews prayed it, so, oh, I can't remember. As if, how stupid can you become? Amen? This is just stupidity going to seed, man. So, <laughs> with all this hostility towards each other, Leon Morris says that strict Jews, like the Pharisees, avoid their territory as much as possible. Their route from Jerusalem to Galilee lay through the region beyond the Jordan. This was considerably longer, but it avoided contact with the Samaritans. Okay, so can, can we see all of that? Alright, so they just, I mean, they just took the roundabout way to get there. That's the reason, Let, let's finish this and we'll stop. Before we get to verse 5, is that okay? Because when we get to verse 5, oh, it starts up there again. <laughs> Not that we've had a ball here. That's the reason Jesus had to, go, had to go through Samaria in agreement with the orders of His Heavenly Father to do the will of the one who had sent Him and to put an end to the strife and division between the two groups once and for all. Amen? Amen. All right, next time we come back, we'll see how he went through that city. We'll see Jacob's well, and we'll pick up on the conversation that he had with the woman and see something about some of the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate. Word of wisdom and so on and so forth. He knew things about her that only God could know. You can know things about people that only God knows. Amen? I'll keep bringing this back to you. And the reason why John kept saying, Behold, what manner of love that we should be called the children of God. As children of God, we have access to Father. He'll talk to us. As long as we learn to shut up. As long as we learn to not judge people. But help them with the information we get. Jesus is going to get some very specific information about this woman. And He's not going to use it against her. Amen? He's going to help her. And she is going to be so blessed. Not ostracized, judged, ridiculed, looked down on. That she is going to go and bring a whole town. And they're all going to get saved. Hallelujah. Something awesome is going to happen. Amen. So let's conclude there. Because it's going on here. Yep. And uh, we'll pick this up. Next time. So let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.